community content from Concentrate. You're up and Adam with Adam Montiel. Thursday, let's do this. Adam Montiel, thank you so much for being up. And Adam, really excited to talk to Scott Yu today from Festival Mosaic just finished its winter concert series. And there was events all over about the county. And I went to one on Saturday. It was just fantastic. I mean, the level, the acumen of these performers and musicians, I mean, these are some of the best in the world, you know, and they're all together together. They get together once a year for Festival Mosaic. So I can't wait to introduce you to Scott Yu. So not only the musical director for Festival Mosaic, he's the chief conductor, also the musical director for the Mexico City Philharmonic. Dude hosts the show, Now Hear This on PBS. He is an incredible violinist, just blows your mind when he's playing and getting lost in the music. He's also a conductor too. So, you know, I don't listen in all honesty to a lot of classical music. I do enjoy it when it's in, you know, the background or actually Gary Eberly got me into more classical and opera. And when you get and you dive in, there's something super beautiful about it and very complex. It's like wine. It's a lot like wine. So Kind of what we like to do with wine and production of beverages and make them more approachable so it's not snooty and and there's a barrier to entry. That's what Scott is doing with classical music. So we're going to do that with him today. And even if you don't consider yourself a fan of classical music, I don't want you to miss this interview because as a conductor, as a violinist, he's really something special. And if you enjoy the interview about half as much as I enjoyed chatting with them, I think it'll be really, really worthwhile. We'll talk later in the show how you can win from our friends at Tambor. They're celebrating their big grand opening this Sunday, two to four. You can go check them out online at Tambor Winery, T-I-M-B-R-E Winery. And I want to thank Josh from Tambor because it was really cool that he's got this whole winery after, you know, named after sound and timbre and this and that and music. And then here uh, he opened up his doors to allow me to interview Scott Yu in his library, that private reserve bar he's got there. Really special spot. So thank you, Josh, for allowing me to do a little satellite interview in the Lowbro neighborhood and chat with Scott Yu. Don't forget that big grand opening. It's called A Taste of Music. It's this Sunday. It's free. Go to the Tambor Instagram and get in there. I'm actually going to have a chance for you to win a tasting for four, a barrel tasting at Tambor. Exclusive up and at them in the morning listeners only. And if you go this weekend to the grand opening, you'll get a chance at 20% off anything you buy there. So pretty cool. Some great savings. Also that free tasting for four, just for up and Adam listeners. I'll tell you how you can get that at the end of the show. Now, my friend, some lo-fi headlines. First, let's thank our friends at the General Store Paso, offering local goods, hand-picked gifts, a curated cookbook selection, all the best for your pantry and home. I think today's the last day. It's leap year, 29th, the final day that they're doing the Spread the Warmth campaign, along with their friends at Echo. You could bring in a new twin-sized blanket or sheet, and they're helping homeless folks with that, along with their friends from Echo. General Store Paso, over 10 years, on the park, downtown Paso, 12th Street, 
open daily from 11 to 6, 10 to 6, on weekends and on Instagram, at General Store Paso. Up and Adam's Slow-Fi Headlines. Some different food stories. I don't know how these all came up today, but let's be honest. After a tough day, would you rather have a gourmet meal like the ones you see on cooking shows with the square plate and everything's just so put on there by tweezers? Or maybe a baked mac and cheese that maybe your partner makes. A new survey asked people if they had to pick a lane, would they rather have gourmet food or comfort food for the rest of their lives? 70% they said, what do you think? Comfort food. Uh, yeah, 16% said gourmet food. They really didn't define each one, but it sounds like comfort food was more like chicken wings, pasta, pizza, burgers, while gourmet food was more stuff you'd see, you know, like at a fancy restaurant. And some people would be willing to go to extremes to eat their favorite meal of all time. 40% said they would take a 20-hour flight to get it. 17% would bike for 300 miles for it. And 14% would walk 200 miles to get it. All right, WTF, what the food? I have another food story. This one, is this just a money grab or do you think this is actually okay advice? The CEO of Kellogg's is catching heat for saying you could save a lot of money by feeding your kids cereal for dinner. People have been tearing into this guy on social media after he said it on CNBC last week. Some of the things that we're doing is first messaging. We got to reach the consumer where they are. So we're advertising about cereal for dinner. If you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do, that's going to be much more affordable. The price of a bowl of cereal with, with milk and with fruit is less than a dollar. So you can imagine why a consumer under pressure might find that to be a good place to go. I mean, he's not wrong. A bowl of cereal can't cost less than a buck, especially if you skip the Kellogg's and go generic. But obviously things like Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks aren't exactly health foods. Even one of the CNBC hosts said telling people to eat Frosted Flakes for supper might land the wrong way with consumers, but he didn't think so because it's already something plenty of Americans do. He said he expects it to become an even bigger trend as more and more consumers find themselves under pressure financially. Kellogg's is already pushing the idea in ads. There's a recent one where Tony the Tiger gets a family of four to chant cereal for dinner over and over again. When I say cereal, you say dinner. Cereal. Dinner. Cereal. Dinner. Chicken. You can uh, have the night off, chicken. Oh, okay, I'll go marinate. Cereal! Dinner! Cereal! Dinner! What do you think? Cereal for dinner? Oh. All right, you got one more food story left in you? Are you too full? Many people grow up enjoying unusual food combinations that they don't realize they're unusual until they become adults and see, wow, no one else seems to be eating these kinds of meals. People are sharing the meals that they found delicious and then later realized were really weird combos. They include ketchup sandwiches. I remember syrup sandwiches too, just ketchup and white bread. Sometimes they'd spice it up by adding some bologna or sliced ham. I remember that, bologna and ketchup sandwiches. Eggo waffles with melted sharp cheddar cheese, never done that one. Cut up hot dogs in like everything. Scrambled eggs, box mac and cheese, stir fry veggies on top of rice. Remember it was all about cut up hot dogs. Grape jelly on grilled cheese. Now here's the thing, forget the grape jelly, get the nice jelly. Lady I Fancy, when she does grilled cheese here, I thought this was crazy before. Now it's so good. She takes a little jelly on the inside, just a little bit with the cheese, and then a little sriracha. Damn, it has changed my grilled cheese game forever. Spaghetti noodles with canned beans, that sounds gross. Chili and cinnamon rolls, that was a thing, I don't know. Making ham salad, quote unquote. 
by grinding up uncooked hot dogs and mixing them with sweet relish and mayo. All right, a couple more on here. I think I can only do a couple more before I barf. A cubed up baguette tossed with Greek yogurt, chopped mint, and sometimes with honey to make it a sweet treat. That doesn't sound bad. Having milk to drink with spaghetti. Oh, that was the thing. Milk with anything back in the day. Now there's just no way that my allergies or stomach, it won't work, but a big fat cold glass of milk with literally anything was just awesome. Finally, coffee and crackers. You take a plate, line it with saltines, pour over coffee until they're softened, then spread some sugar to taste and eat it with some deli ham. It's like a poor man's country ham, biscuits and red-eye gravy. I don't know. Some of those make me wanna, I'm just thinking like the vomit emoji, but some of these others, a little bit of nostalgia. All right, three solid food stories for you. Before we get into our conversation with Scott Yu, let's thank our friends at Tin City Distillery. Located in one of the hottest tasting locations, Tin City. Tin City Distillery open for tasting seven days a week. You can taste the spirits or just enjoy them. Just enjoy a cocktail bar seven days a week. Take tours of the distillery on the weekend. Their spirits are of the highest caliber. Their brandy, made from the best vineyards in Paso, bar none. Their canned cocktails, elevated, refreshing. I'm into the Pog, passion fruit, orange guava. Oh my God, so good. Right now you can find them at your local grocery store, four packs, check them out. TinCityDistillery.com. Follow them on your socials at TinCityDistillery. Up in Adams, Lo-Fi Headlines. All right, Scott Yu's illustrious career as a conductor and violinist reflects a deep commitment to the arts and education. From his early beginnings studying music in Tokyo to receiving acclaim on prestigious stages worldwide, Yu's journey embodies a fusion of cultural influences and musical excellence. As the chief conductor and artistic director for the Mexico City Philharmonic and the music director for our festival Mosaic, he orchestrates captivating performances that bridge classical traditions with contemporary expressions. Yu's leadership extends beyond the conductor's podium. He has pioneered educational initiatives like the Medellin Festicamara, uh, enriching the lives of young musicians. I hope I said that right. Through his role as host and executive producer of PBS's Now Hear This, Yu has brought classical music to broader audiences, showcasing its timeless beauty and relevance. His recordings and collabs underscore a dedication to both preserving the classical repertoire and championing new compositions, which I think is so cool. Scott Yu, thank you for being up and at him in the morning, my man. Oh, it's so great to be with you, Adam. Now, I'm so interested because you have an extensive background as both a conductor and a violinist. And I'm curious how these really, these dual roles inform and influence each other in your musical interpretations, your performances. Wow. Are you a musician, Adam? That's a <laughs> very deep and intelli deeply intelligent question. Thank you very much. Um, you know, everyone starts playing an instrument. Nobody is a child and conducts... I started as a violinist. I was always interested in conducting just because it just looked neat. And, and I played in orchestras my whole life, and I thought it was cool. When I was in high school, my orchestra conductor said, hey, why don't you conduct? And I thought it was really interesting. In college, my orchestra director said, hey, why don't you conduct? And, and I did. And, uh, you know, when you wave your hand in the air and sound comes out, it feels a little bit like playing a theremin. Uh, that's the instrument that's at the beginning of Star Trek. Um, oh, yeah. <clears throat> you wave your hand and suddenly music, sound just kind of appears. And it's it's the strangest 
sensation and depending on how you wave your hand through the air and how you draw sound through the air, it it definitely affects the sound. And so that's a very bizarre thing when you conduct your thinking much because you're not actually creating sound, you're eliciting sound. It does make you think about how you create sound when you physically do it with a violin or with a piano. And so I would say that you do become better playing the violin when you conduct simply because you spend so much of of your time criticizing other violinists. And then when you hold the violin yourself and you start doing it, you're like, oh my, you know, I'm that that thing that I tell everybody else not to do, I do it as well. And and I better cut that out. So anyway, it's it is a quite interesting thing. When when you do play the violin, you do have to be very critical about sort of the fundamentals of making music, pitch, rhythm, sound, and when you conduct and you have a finely tuned ear from playing the violin or the trumpet or the harp or whatever, uh, it does help you as a conductor. So both inform each other. Yeah. So interesting. And I'm kind of curious from like the psychological standpoint from both vantage points. One, the conductor. Are you, I mean, we will see people, you know, conduct and get into it. I mean, are, is is what you're doing with your hands as important as the way you will adopt it in your face and the motions you will make with your eyes? And I mean, it feels like to me, that's all part of the tapestry. So did uh, some conductor feed you these questions? This is a fascinating. No, it's just, I, I'm, I'm just not at all. I, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Yeah, but, but, no, but these so are fascinating yeah, no. questions. I've never been asked these questions. To me, that is the best compliment I can have as an interviewer. I, it's, I, I'm, I'm quite shocked because I thought this was a more, more about wine than about music. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, my compliments to you. The biggest influence you have on the concert as a conductor is before you even get to the orchestra. It's all the preparation. They, surgeons say that 95, 96% of their work is done at home in front of a textbook and, and studying and preparing. 98% of your work is before, the, before you even arrive. Then once you arrive... of the performance is what you do in the rehearsal. And then only 5% is the the concert. I'm sure that when they launch the space shuttle or or a rocket into space, you know, 98% of it is the construction of the rocket. Then they do 20 rehearsals of landing the thing on the moon. And then actually doing it is just a very small part of it. And then you got to get into the sound stage so you could fake it and all that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I think that it's just like anything else in life. When Tiger Woods is on the 18th hole, you know, that's just a, a millionth of the preparation, yeah. right? Most of it was spending time with his dad on the putting green and, 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 you know, no, your neck is moving or, oh, your head, keep your head still. That's most of it. But I feel like us watching it, I get brought in. It's almost like Neil Schoen from the band Journey. When he does a guitar solo, you can almost like, people don't even watch the guitar because his face is making all these contortions and, and it's so engaging i'm looking at like and i don't mean to be dismissive by calling it performative but i'm looking at the grand gestures and the eyes and the and and to me that like reels me in now invert that from the person playing the concert are there certain things that you're getting from the conductor like oh man i I, i've had this conductor before he's okay but it just or, or like do certain conductors like almost like bring more out of you you know what i mean from the 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 person's perspective who's playing now i mean that is uh that's also just a brilliant question so 
you know, when you look at the conductor's face and you see something that you didn't see in rehearsal, it might turn on an extra gear for you. Oh, whoa. If it's exactly the same properly, you're not going to switch a gear. But if it's something different, you know, part of your job, I don't mean to get very unglamorous here, but um, in terms of sausage making, part of your job in the concert is to uh, fix a problem that has occurred. Right. When when they uh, landed the uh, rover on the moon a few days ago, there was some audible that, that the mission control called because, oh, my God, this is the wrong this is the wrong amount of gas that oh, oh don't do it that way. OK, um, uh, turn that down 50 percent. That type of thing happens in orchestral performances every second, every minute, every day with every orchestra and every conductor. And your job is, oh, 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 oh there, there's a problem. There's a problem. Somebody might have miscounted and come in wrong and you have to fix on the fly. Wow. Now, when that doesn't happen and the orchestra is just kind of going on cruise control, um, you know, there is this feeling of inevitability where it's it, it, you feel like you're a steam tanker or a really long train and, and it's the performance is inevitable and it's it's great and everybody's kind of riding an energy and those are the those are the kind of performances that you 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 live for so cool what is the the instrument that you're holding again what is that called that's a baton okay the baton i what for fourth of july one year we did a thing kind of like boston pops and paso called paso pops we had the 1812 with the cannons yeah. and I was asked by the slow uh, symphony to like be that liaison between the military and the their conductor oh, cool. where I would like motion the cannons and they gave me this baton and I still have it on my desk it, oh, it was fun. such an amazing you know just that the, the power of this what looks like a little teeny thin <laughs> stick with that little you know wood on the end but the power in which the way you present it and hold it uh, it's really exciting Oh, I mean, maybe the most powerful thing you can do with your hands is flip the switch on a, on a stick of dynamite. Yeah. And then the baton is the, the second most yeah. impactful thing with you, <laughs> that you can do with your hands. I mean, it is quite incredible if you if you play a piece of, of music by Tchaikovsky and it's loud and you just put your hand down and suddenly it's, you know, ear splitting. I mean, there is something very um, shocking. Almost. Even to this day, it's shocking to, to put it's your still hand down. You up, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Wow. Do you have a certain baton that you will revisit or like, oh, this is like almost like superstition, like Michael Jordan would wear his North Carolina Tar Heel shorts under his bull shorts or whatever? Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. I, early in my career, I think I tried 50 or 60 different types of batons and I ended up buying one that was made in London and it's actually just a very, very long, thin wooden dowel. And for some reason, I guess because a violin bow is essentially the same thing, that's what I'm most comfortable with. Um, that company went out of business. And so I went to four or five different woodworkers and I had them all, I mean, I guess audition. Uh, I had them all just just try to make a replica. Can you make a replica of this? And uh, one gentleman who was very skillful, he, he made perfect replicas of them. And I said, okay, make 50 of these. And uh, that was about 20 years ago. And, and I think I'm still, I still have about 40 left. You, you know, you break, you break them every once in a while. Oh, do they you? Just, well, because they're, 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 they're wooden. No, oh, I mean, because... <laughs> they're just wooden. And, and then you just break it over your knee. You, uh, I, the other day I was in my office and I was holding the baton and then it fell off my 
it fell out of my hands. It hit the ground, and for some reason, it just it just split. So that's now another one that yeah. that's that's gone. And and, and uh, you know, eventually, hopefully, I can make to the end of my career without making an, any more of them. <laughs> now, hosting the PBS series, now hear this. It brought classical music to like American primetime TV after fifty years. I'm curious the challenges, the opportunities. What kind of stuff did you encounter in presenting classical music to a broad television audience? I think that's also an excellent question, Adam. It is very challenging to do it, but I try to look at it as an opportunity because it hasn't been done for a very long time, at least not in America. And so uh, in a certain sense, we have the playing field all to ourselves. PBS has given us a tremendous amount of support to to make programs. I see it as an opportunity. You know, we're, we're on the 20-yard line. There's just been a, a touchback and you can run the ball, you can pass the ball. You know, the, the, the canvas is blank. And so each season we do this, we try to think about, okay, how differently can we present this music? Last season, we talked about it in temporal terms. We looked at careers that were young, careers, mid-career, and then um, end of career. The year before that, we went to Buenos Aires, we went to Europe, we went to America. The year before that, we did all American composers. The year before, I mean, because we have a lot of latitude, we can sort of look at the music that we love and say, okay, what are we going to do this year? And for me, that's that's a real privilege. And it's also a responsibility because we don't want to waste this chance. We want to try to get people to love this music as much and as often as possible. I host a couple wine shows, right? And the idea is just to make wine more approachable. Wine, for so many, is such an intimidating you know, barrier. And wine needs to be fun. Wine is fun. Wine is great. Music is fun. And classical music is beautiful. And I love that in that dinner over the weekend, you were really speaking a language that I could understand classical music, and you made it approachable, you made it relatable. And the way you talked about things being slowed down and taking the rhythm out and playing it back again. I mean, this is obviously a really deliberate and thoughtful thing you're trying to do, right, by making classical music approachable. You know, classical music used to be popular music. And what happened was sometime in the 20th century, the gulf between popular music and our music split because of the advent of electronic instruments. And electronic instruments went one way and it turned into rock and roll and R&B and jazz and all those things. And then classical music actually became less and less relatable. And so it became a smaller and smaller part of people's lives. Um, You know, I would maintain that just as eating chicken and drinking wine and eating beef and bread and cheese has endured over centuries and and millennia. Uh, This music should also endure because it is, it's just as delicious for the soul to imbibe Beethoven as it is for the stomach to imbibe a Pinot. And that's not going to change. And so I feel that uh, it's our job as musicians in the 21st century with TikTok and Instagram and all of the social media and the the completely atomized uh, television. Uh, I mean, you can watch, you know, 1500 channels. It is our job to find classical music's lane 
and then try to widen and widen and widen it as much as humanly possible. I love how you put that. So as the chief conductor and artistic director for the Mexico City Philharmonic and the music director of Festival Mosaic, you know, how do you approach programming to engage diverse audiences? I mean, speaking of Mexico City, there's, you know, not many international cities so diverse and such a melting pot, you know, maintaining the artistic integrity, but also, again, for these specific audiences, making things incredibly palatable. Another excellent question, Adam. In Mexico City and in, in here in San Luis Obispo, the approach is completely different. So in Mexico City, we have a mandate to play as much Mexican music as we can. I think this season we're playing 40 45 pieces of Mexican music or music by Mexican composers. That is our job. Why? Because if we don't do it with the Mexico City Philharmonic, uh, they aren't going to be doing it in Akron, Ohio, or in San Antonio, Texas. We have to do it because, because it's a Mexican orchestra. Here in San Luis Obispo, it's different. We are a small community, and our job is to not only play for the most people, but to make sure that for those people who are served by the festival that they have the deepest and richest experience possible. Uh, the event that you referred to uh, this past Saturday, Adam, uh, was called A Notable Encounter, and it's kind of a museum docents tour of a piece of music, whether it be by Mozart or Dohnani or Beethoven or whomever. Um, our job as a festival is to try to give people an entry point into the art form because unfortunately not so many are doing that and specifically the school systems are not doing that anymore so it we are kind of the last line of defense in terms of getting people away in and my final question, Scott, with your extensive experience leading orchestras all around the globe, could you share like a memorable moment or performance that really maybe impacted you as a conductor, was really funny, maybe a, a mistake that went to anything that just of, of notableness? Uh, that's also a great question. Um, I've never been asked that question before, Adam. Two that come to mind, the first concert I ever conducted was in 1993, and obviously I won't forget that because it was the first. And then one of the last concerts, or the last concert I conducted in slow, we played a Bruckner Symphony, and that was memorable because it was nearly a flawless performance, and those don't happen very often. Of course, the Festival Mosaic Orchestra is a very transient thing because it only exists for you know a few days every summer, but that is an orchestra with almost no weakness, and it showed in the performance. It was flawless from start to finish, and we all kind of looked at each other and said, wow, that was uh, one of the bassoonists said, this is a stupid good orchestra. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you just, I suppose if you, if you have that every day, but almost nobody does have that, then maybe you get used to that. But for, for someone like me, a mere mortal, to experience that where there are almost no problems in a performance, you just savor that and then you look forward to the next one. 
This was a fun conversation. Did you have fun? Yeah, Adam, you're just, uh, you're obviously, I'm sure you know that you are a natural at this. So it's uh, really a pleasure. Oh, that really means a lot. Scott, thank you so much for being up. And Adam, next time we're going to have you back and we're going to fulfill my dream of having you play Among the Barrels. I will bring my violin next time. This was so much fun. Thank you for the conversation. Really appreciate you, Scott. Thank you. It's been an honor. What a great conversation. Can't wait till he is back during the summer for their summer concert series with Festival Mosaic that in July. You know, just like great wine, great coffee starts with the origin of the plant, the growing region, the terroir, the altitude, yes, the weather, all translate into taste. Our friends at Barometer pick and choose premium source beans from the best regions in Central and South America, from communities dedicated to sustainability and family prosperity. They find the perfect roast, and then what do they do next? As little as possible. They simply roast. No intervention, oils, additives, artificial flavors, no nothing. So you taste 100% premium coffee crafted right here in San Luis Obispo. While a barometer can help predict the weather, starting with a cup of barometer coffee can help predict your day. They're on Insta, at Barometer Coffee Co. Check them out online, barometercoffee.com. Hit up adamontiel.com and win a bag for yourself. Barometer Coffee, they do less so you can taste more. All right, coming up tomorrow, we'll talk to MindBody co-founder Blake Beltram. Really interesting guy, great public speaker. We're going to be dissecting the architecture of a TEDx talk. As you know, I'm going to be one of the speakers for TEDx Sunday, April 14th. And rather than making this some grand 15 minutes that will roll the curtains back and just pray to God I don't mess up and say something brilliant, hopefully, I don't know. Why don't we deconstruct this and talk about how one makes a TEDx talk? We're doing this together. So be along for the ride. Blake Beltram will be on to talk all about it, how we're going to go about this. If you have any ideas, any suggestions, anything you think I should definitely keep in mind, do, do, don't do, go to adamontiel.com, stay connected. We will read some of these on the air, and I would love your feedback. We are doing this together. So when April 14th does happen, and you get your ticket to packslow.org for TEDx, we can all say we were part of this journey together. Also, we talked earlier in the show how you can win from our friends at Tambor Winery, celebrating their grand opening, A Taste of Music. This week in the Lobro neighborhood, they're on Capitolio. Sunday, two to four, it's completely free. Barrel tastings, live music, food, it's gonna be fun. They want folks to register just so they know how much like food to bring. So if you go follow them on Insta, at Tambor, T-I-M-B-R-E, Tambor Winery, at Tambor Winery, you can check out the lowdown on this Sunday's festivities. But if you go to my website, adamontiel.com, and you want to come hang out with us, because I'm going to be there on Sunday. You want to come hang out. I'm setting someone up. You and three friends, four people, barrel tasting, timbre, make a private appointment. You'll do all that on Sunday. But it's a private thing for you, three friends, just for Up and Adam listeners. Thanks to Josh and our friends at timbre, barrel tasting. And if you come on Sunday, you'll get 20% off anything you want. So, Go to adamontiel.com, hit the Stay Connected tab. First one in, gets it. And then looking into next week, wow, Monday, um, Bridget Bins, chef, author, got a brand new book, a memoir. She's written over 30-something cookbooks for Weber Grills, William Sonoma, yada, yada, yada. I mean, she's such a badass. And now turns 
the writing subject onto herself, a memoir called Rotten Kid, a succulent story of survival. It's a fascinating book. She's a brilliant author, great with her words. Her story is fascinating. I was like, how did you not write this years ago? She actually answers that. It's so good in a conversation that you don't want to miss. Also next week, gosh, Caitlin Caney, we're gonna go behind the scenes of Catania Brothers. We're gonna go behind the scenes. You've heard the saying, how the sausage is made? Yeah, we're gonna find out. We'll talk to Kurt and Martha from Life Elements, Monica from Monica's Macarons. We're gonna make macarons on the show. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Next week is gonna be ballistic, crazy nuts. So much fun. Until then, we're just about to get out of this week. We're exiting this month right now. Happy leap year. Thanks to our friends at Full Cup Solutions for technical consideration. Moonshiner Collective for original music on the show called Start Again. Go to moonshinercollective.com. Check them out performing live, slow brew rock, or it's called Rodden Hammer Rock now. Uh, anyways, moonshinercollective.com. Check them out live March 22nd. Tomorrow's Friday. Till then, thank you for connecting with us here. I'm Adam Montiel, and I appreciate you being up and at them. Start again. We'll start again. Let's start again.